0: Uh, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, Pastor Rob asked me a couple weeks ago if uh, I would be available to preach on a Sunday evening uh, to fill in for 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 him and uh, Rodney, and also, as he mentioned, just to be able to, uh, you guys, faithfully pray for, for Miller's Falls, and we feel it, we hear it, uh, we are very much appreciative of it, uh, but now you get to put a face to it sorry it has to be this face, uh, to Millers Falls, but uh, again, uh, it is a wonderful blessing, to uh, an opportunity to be able to serve up there in Millers Falls, and then to be here uh, with you tonight uh, on behalf of the saints there who send their warmest greetings, and again, appreciation for your prayers. Um, Yes, as Rob said, uh, I am licensed to preach in this presbytery, uh, and I, I sat under the preaching ministry of... Uh, Pastor Brad, uh, for a number of, number of years in the Coventry Church. I had never been up to this church uh, in all my years in the PCA uh, until this year. Uh, I was here to be examined for, for licensure, and I was here for presbytery, stood right there. Uh, looks a lot different without <laughs> the whole presbytery here, um, but uh, it is a joy to, to be here among the saints in West Springfield, and to do one of the things that I love to do the most, which is to bring God's word to his people. So if you have a copy of God's word, whether in print form, electronic, or if you have it memorized, that works too. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we are going to read verses 1 through 4. Now as you're turning there, 1 Peter towards the the end of the New Testament, of course, Uh, is a letter that the apostle writes to five congregations that are located in modern-day Turkey, spread out across that territory, Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, And these congregations are made up of Jews and Gentiles, exiles, those who have been... uh, sent away from their earthly homeland and now are inhabiting a strange territory amongst a strange people and are now forced to get along together, so to speak, within the church amidst an ever-increasing hostile world towards the uh, growing young Christian church. So Peter writes this letter to these churches to strengthen their faith to encourage them to buoy their spirits and to keep them from shrinking back and denying the Lord who has bought them with his blood. And throughout his letter, Peter uh, goes back and forth from gospel proclamation to practical, quote-unquote, application of this gospel that he's declaring to them. And at the end of 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Peter ends with a sort of strange uh, section about judgment beginning at the house of God. And he, as he moves into chapter 5, now he's going to start addressing the elders within the church. Showing how the severity of the confession, the name of Christ that Christians bear, as a witness to the culture, to the world around them. Again, the severity of that, the seriousness of claiming Christ to an unbelieving world. Thus how the judgment begins at the household of God, and then begins even with the leadership within the church. Peter has some, again, strong, stern words, but also some sweet consolation for those, again, experiencing pressure and even uh, persecution for their faith in Christ. So again, if you have a copy of God's word, give your attention to the reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray for the preaching and hearing of God's word. Heavenly Father, Pray that as I stand here in this pulpit and speak to your people, that they would be fed by the words of eternal life that are found in your scriptures, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They, your people who are sitting here would hear not so much Mark Popovich, but rather the voice of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the overseer of our souls calling to each one of us by name, leading us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, beside still waters and green pastures, giving rest to our souls. Help us also to take seriously these words, to not take it for granted, the faith, the grace, the love of God that has been given to us, but to, to realize that your words, your patience, your love towards us is designed for our repentance. Invict us of sin Help us to, as was prayed before, turn from sin to say no to it, and yes, to righteous, holy living. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Just a a word of note. um, The uh, church up in Millers Falls uses the New King James Version, so um, I am probably going to reference the New King James. I'm using ESV here. My notes have New King James. This is going to mess me up uh, so much. (laughs) So if if, uh, a word or phrase doesn't match up with the ESV, um, uh, just go with it, I guess. (laughs) But again, we come here to 1 Peter chapter 5 and the opening statements here. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Uh, There are a few ordained elders in this room. I am not one of them actually myself, but I see a few of them here. And for those of us who are not elders or leaders or ordained in this church, do not think that these words have no application to you. Don't think that you can check out at this point. These words are very much applicable to the sheep, to the people in the pews, not just to the elders. And I'm not sure why this is, but we seem to have a culture within the church even that can elevate pastors And preachers in our day, the apostles and the saints who have come before us, and to put them on a pedestal that they themselves would rather not occupy. I can remember meeting R.C. Sproul one time, and I was as giddy as a fan meeting a celebrity or a famous athlete Oh, my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to him? Uh, hi, hi, Mr. Sproul. Dr. Dr. Sproul, I'm sorry. My name is Mark. I was so nervous to meet R.C. Sproul. but then I see him as I'm waiting to meet. He's just talking with people in his congregation. He's laughing. He's asking questions. He's answering, talking about sports, the weather, the, whatever it might be. He was just a regular Joe, a regular guy like me. But sometimes, again, we can think that pastors, preachers, apostles, saints, uh, Peter, Paul, Calvin, Spurgeon, MacArthur, even our own local pastors are more than just ordinary people. They're different. They're, they're, they're more than just sinners saved by grace that we are. They have a, an unrelatability about them, it's false. Perhaps that the churches that Peter was writing to here might have had that feeling about Peter. This is the apostle Peter writing to us. Wow. And then they get to this verse and they hear Peter open this chapter in in such the way that he does. I am a fellow elder like you. Really? Shocking. But this is... Peter's pastoral heart coming through, as it does throughout his entire letter. But here, Peter, rather than simply elevating himself in his apostleship, which he does mention in his introduction at the beginning of the letter, Peter bestows an honor upon the leadership of these individual churches by placing himself amongst their company as a fellow elder. But he's also quick to squash any pride that these elders might have uh, been gathering to themselves. Thinking, oh, I'm in league with the Apostle Peter. I'm in his company. I'm rubbing uh, elbows with Jesus' number one right-hand man, the Apostle Peter. Because Peter is quick to note that he was an eyewitness to Christ's sufferings. Something these elders were not afforded the privilege of. But also, lest that anyone think, oh, well, there goes Peter now. He's so much better than us. He was so much greater than us. He got to walk with Jesus. No, Peter is also quick to gather all of the elect exiles, calling himself a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter places himself amidst the elders of the churches as well as the non-elders of the churches, the congregation as a whole. Do you see what Peter is doing in these few opening words to this chapter? He's prepping the elders for the exhortations that are to come by being an example of the humble servant-mindedness that is expected from the role and the position that they occupy. Simultaneously, Peter is also speaking a word of preparation to the congregation that they would reverence the elders for their responsibility, but also bestowing that honor on them that the elders have themselves as bearing the name of Christ. One of the job titles that I had when I worked for Big Y Supermarket, I was there for 13 years. That's why I have no more hair. Uh, one of the jobs I had was commercial bakery clerk, which meant that I oversaw the strategic planning, uh, sales, and displays of the packaged Bread items and snack cakes, such as Pepperidge Farm, Wonder, uh, Thomas's English Muffins, and Postis. Uh, Now, you might not think that such a nook and cranny position would have or need a company email account, but I did have one, and it was my responsibility to check my messages throughout the day. And one email that came down each week, without fail, was from the desk of the chief executive officer of Big Y. Yeah, I don't like to brag, but the best job in sliced bread got to rub elbows with the CEO of a very established and fine regional supermarket company. Actually, I can't brag at all because this email was sent out to everybody in the company. It was a company-wide email. Uh, It was very generic, but it was very much like an epistle. Because in this letter, the CEO would thank the workers for their hard labor. He would gently correct us in areas we needed to improve. And he would encourage us in continued excellence in the things we were doing well. He even started his letter each and every time in this way. Your CEO and head service clerk. Service clerks were seen as the lowest position in the company. You call them baggers, cart pushers. They were the the grunt task workers, often cleaning up spills in the aisles, doing the the bottle machines, uh, and just any of that grunt work. And they were seen, again, as sort of the lowest position within the company. And by taking this title upon himself as head service clerk. The CEO of Big Y was establishing a fellowship amongst the ranks. And what he did was to instill a reverence for his position as well as an honor for that position of service clerk. And it did more to instill within us as workers the desire to serve a job well done than he could have accomplished in any heavy-handed domineering, or aloof manner as a boss. That's pretty much what Peter is doing here. He is setting an example for the elders in verse 1. And so when we get to verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5, these exhortations can be well received by the elders of these five churches in Asia Minor. Peter uses three pairs of opposing commands, a negative negative and a positive. And with our time remaining, I really want to just take a look at these three pairs. First, Peter says elders uh, should shepherd the flock, serve as overseers. First, not by compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And then thirdly, not by being lords over the flock, but as Examples. And as I said before, even though these words are addressed to elders, they are very much meant for non elders as well. Because Peter, as we read, states explicitly that the sheep ought to take their cues from the elders as examples. This is a monumental task. The Apostle Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He tells the Corinthian church twice. So therefore, we sheep would do well to eavesdrop on this session meeting going on here. First, a shepherd of God's flock is to serve, Peter says, not by compulsion, but willingly. This might sound a little strange in our day and age when we have so many men seeking to enter the ministry In some capacity, why does Peter talk about compulsion, that he doesn't want anyone to serve by compulsion, but willingly? I think this is the apostle's way of paraphrasing our Lord's words when he tells us as believers to count the cost. Peter doesn't want any elders forced or coerced or guilted or compelled to service without a willing heart. Because there is a cost that comes with associating oneself with this Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter understands that if, you don't under, that, that if you don't realize this, if you are serving for any other reason apart from being willing to serve as an elder, your ministry, your leadership will dry up and fail. If you are compelled you are guilted, if your arm was twisted, if you are not willing and understand what what lies ahead for you as a leader of Christ's church, then you are not going to last long. And Peter understands this himself. He is not admonishing these leaders, these elders, to do anything that he himself isn't willing and hasn't already done. He has experienced the sufferings of Christ in the body. He was told from the very lips of Jesus that what awaited him was a time when he would be led to a place he did not want to go. When he would be dressed and carried by people he'd rather not be around, signifying the death by which he would glorify God. That is what awaits you, Peter. And yet, Peter shepherds on. And he encourages any elder to do so with a similar spirit. Elders are to serve willingly, having counted the costs and understanding what is at stake. Secondly, Peter says that elders of the church ought to serve as overseers, quote, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. This reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 34 where God denounces the greedy leaders of Israel during the time of the Babylonian exile. They are referred to as shepherds in that chapter. And they are denounced because they look out for their own gain instead of tending to God's sheep. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who feed yourselves. Should not the shepherds tend To the flocks. And as if that weren't bad enough, the shepherd's crime is compounded because they gain riches. They grow fat off of the sheep themselves. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. This is the very height of dishonest gain. Instead of the life that our true shepherd gives and gives of himself, these under-shepherds bring death. All on account of serving their own selfish desires. John Calvin says here that such a person is no minister of Christ, but rather is, quote, a slave to his own stomach and purse. Paul will pick up on the severity of God's language from Ezekiel. And it's why he says that a greedy or covetous person is not qualified to serve as an elder. Such character traits disqualify anyone from shepherding or rather slaughtering the Lord's flock. But the flip side of this, Peter says, is the elder who serves Eagerly. This is such a wonderful trait to have in a leader. Calvin calls this person one who, quote, spends himself and labors disinterestedly and gladly on behalf of the church. This is the man who counts it his joy who loves to seek out ways in which he can give and serve, who has hands that delight in giving rather than owning an eye looking out for what he can gain. This is the under-shepherd who knows and trusts that Yahweh is his shepherd. And therefore, he lacks nothing. This is the shepherd who can water because he knows that he himself is watered, has been watered, will be watered. He will have no deficit. He can give and trust that he is going to be replenished from God's bottomless purse. His grace that never can be plumbed to its depths. This is the shepherd who is an example to the flock for this shepherd paves the way for us to follow as sheep that we might in equal eagerness and cheerfulness give to those who are in need within the church and our neighbors around us. So elders are to serve willingly, not by compulsion and they are to serve eagerly, Not for dishonest gain. Thirdly, Peter turns his pen towards the person seeking power and prestige from the position of elder. He says, not being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Once again, Peter is paraphrasing a lesson that he learned the hard way from the lips of Jesus You may remember on a couple of occasions when the apostles started bickering about who was the greatest. James and John even jumped the gun, jumped the line and came to Jesus and said, hey, can we have those seats at your right and left hand? And the other apostles were like, hey, we wanted them. We were just too afraid to ask. And then they're arguing who's the greatest, who cast out the most demons, who healed the most, who did this, who did this, me, no, it was me, no, I got you beat. Jesus stops, pulls a little child in their midst, and says, you want to be great? You want the honor and prestige? Is that what you seek after? Then be as this child. Be as the one who serves. If you want the honor and the prestige, if you seek greatness, seek the low positions. Seek the service clerk. Seek the last place if you want to be first. Be the one who puts the sheep's well-being ahead of your gain and your ego. I remember someone uh, in the Coventry church years ago who would often be approached for leadership positions, whether it was a uh, nomination for elder or deacon or even just a to be, to, to, to head up or lead a, a ministry or a Bible study or, or something like that. And uh, this man would always decline. And he would always say that he felt that he was better as second in command. He joked that he was a better follower than a leader. And that is how he desired to serve the church. He wanted to show others how to follow the example of a good leader. In reality, the elders that Peter is addressing here are second in command. Their authority is a derived authority. It is given to them. It has not been earned. It has been privileged to them. And Peter slips this stern reminder to them when he says that the elders aren't to be lords over those in your charge, those entrusted to you. Peter's hearkening back to Ezekiel 34 again, where the Lord says to the shepherds, I will require my flock at your hand. So the elder and even the believer who seeks to be an example to others of Christ, an imitation of Christ for for those to see around them more than being forced into service, more than serving for what can be gained by way of power or prestige, the responsibility that we have as bearing the name of Christ is to serve and for the elder to serve the flock in such a way that we, by seeing the under-shepherd's example and service, would be encouraged to follow after the one That they follow. Namely, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what is required at the elders' hand. That is what we are entrusted with as sheep. Did the elders feed the flock the bread of life? Did they lead them beside the living waters of Jesus Christ? Did they show them Jesus in their words and actions such that they could imitate Christ by imitating the elders? Again, for those of us who are not ordained, can the world hear your confession, the words coming from your mouth, and see your conduct, your actions, and get a good idea of who Jesus is such that if they imitated you, they would in turn be imitating Christ. This is a monumental task, Very weighty. How can anyone manage it? Well, the theologian Edmund Clowney offers this gentle word. He says, Love for Christ will kindle compassion for Christ's scattered sheep, the little ones for whom he died. We draw our strength for the task of imitating Christ, being examples of Christ for others from Christ himself. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 21 of this epistle, that Christ left an example for us that we might follow in his steps. So therefore, if we seek to stir ourselves up in our own gusto, to be imitators of Christ, to be examples of Christ for others, we will fail. We must keep the appearance of Christ, as Peter says here, at the forefront. First, to remind us of the severity of our calling. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. He will require at our hands what has been entrusted to us but also we keep the appearance of Christ at the forefront because honestly, what shepherd is Peter profiling here with his description of a loving, willing service without compulsion, but Christ? What shepherd is there who can fit the bill of not serving for shameful gain, but eagerly spending himself to the point even Of shedding his blood for those who hate him. Christ, of course. And what shepherd among us is there? Who serves not in a domineering fashion. But being an example. The Lord of glory. Lord himself did not lord it over the flock. But he says, I came not to be served. Though he really deserved it. He came to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we, wandering sheep, are gripped by this grace. This shepherd is my shepherd. I believe that I lack nothing in him. That my cup overflows in him that I will dwell in the house of the Lord with goodness and mercy pursuing me forevermore. When that grips our hearts as elders, as believers, then how can we have any other response but to love and serve the Lord and his sheep, our neighbors, from a cheerful, willing, eager heart? Imitate your elders as they imitate Christ. Follow their example as they follow the chief shepherd himself. And in doing so, the church together, collectively, corporately, will be witness to the world around us, hostile as they might be at times, of the love and greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, yet was given up for us all, eagerly and willing, the just for the unjust, that we might be with him forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the bread of life. Pray, Lord, that we would indeed Upon it, that we would look to Jesus, our example, and not just an example uh, to, to follow as if we uh, merit salvation or earn your love or repay you for the grace that you have given to us or anything like that, but rather that we would see Jesus and the love that he has for us that while we were still sinners died for one such as us. Therefore, Our following would be out of gratitude, out of love, out of thanksgiving. We pray, Lord, that you would use us in any way you see fit to shine the light of Christ in a world that is increasingly growing hostile to you. This culture, the United States, our towns, our families, even our neighbors, our loved ones, may they see Christ in us. Would they ask for us to show them Jesus, to bring them to Jesus, to, to come with us to the mountain of the Lord, to Mount Zion, to receive the forgiveness of their sins for themselves. Pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Our closing hymn for this evening. Number 525. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. You please 525.
1: Say, Lord, like
0: love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you
1: all. Amen.